One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome Everyone to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are recovering from having their senses hurt in a deathmatch tournament in Leeds, it was hilarious, more on that in a minute, we are back via the Ica Pro Power DeLorean in 1993, where the most hardcore thing going is the smell that comes off Bastion Bugger after a two-minute squash match. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter, manager of Mickey the Dragon. And the rise king of hardcore, tell you why in a minute, Tom Campbell, and I be with the bear in the big blue bar cage. The man who on the road to WrestleMania is being handed several pencils. He's throwing them on the I-54 because he don't need them because he's on a pen and he gets it right every time. Justin Henry from Off of America is there. I don't even know what state or country the I-54 is in. <laughs> Neither do I, mate. <laughs> I-95. Is that one? Don't make me... Yeah. 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 I think I-95 is one. Don't make me Google stuff now. I'm tired. I'm thinking of the M-54 in, in the UK. It's what I'm thinking of. And crossing it with the I-95. Now you're just mixing stuff. That's no good. Uh, I must say, I must say big love to uh, Adam Pachiti. Uh, Jack the Jobber and Matthew Gregg, who came along to uh, my workplace on Saturday, aka Sheaf Street in Leeds, for the Rise Games of Death tournament. And uh, I was in the corner commentating on what was a very brutal night of wrestling and watched uh, Jack the Jobber look a little bit sick at points, watched Adam Pacitti question some of his life choices. And watch Matthew Gregg's face light up with glee when he realised the first round included two people from Bishop Auckland. He was over the moon. <laughs> now I have to ask: Did any of them say anything bad about me? No, no. We all we all got together and raised a glass to you. Oh, I appreciate that. Sorry, we raised a piece of glass towards you that had come off a light tube that had bounced off a man's head. Because secretly, I think they all hate me, but. No, nope. how is this possible? Nobody hates you. Oh, I beg to differ with that. I'd like to also well, point. Of- well, I was also point out before we, because I have references, and I want to very quickly say that I'm actually. It, this might not go down as canon, but I'm officially the rise king of hardcore wrestling. Because on that night, on a night of ten death matches in one place, I was the one that broke the first light tube. And who did you break it on? Nobody has stood on it as I was leaving the room. <laughs> Big Joe got very cross with me because he was going to use it in the next match. <laughs> I did quite, very quickly find him another one. <laughs> yes! Short notice. Exactly. Where's the dollar store? <laughs> Sorry, continue, Justin. I interrupted you about to announce our very special guest. Uh, yes, we were. Uh, 
I was going to say, speaking of people who are friends with us and love us and well, I think love us or at the very least enjoy us, we have, a, we have a special guest with us here today, as announced last week. He is, he is the Photoshopper extraordinaire. He listens to our show every single week. He comes up with these wacky photoshops based on our, our flights of fancy that we come up with during the course of these hour and 15 minutes that we do these shows. He is Mr. Photoshop John himself, John Eiley. John, welcome to the show. Yes! Hi, Justin. Yes! Yes! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> John Eiley's here! I couldn't, I couldn't tell Daniel Bryan from John Eiley there. It, it, it was so close. Well, he's got more there, of a beard than me. <laughs> he's more than a beard than everybody. That's true. John, uh, it is an honor and a privilege. Welcome to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. Thank you for having me. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be here as well. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So you so you uh, watch every single Raw along with us, essentially. Or at the very least, you just listen to the show and then just kind of get a glimpse of a kind of get an idea of what happened on the shows at the very least, right? Yeah, uh, there's been a couple of times where you've mentioned a match or a segment that I've gone back and watched again. Um, I mean, I've been watching wrestling since I was about four years old. Um, that was the old world of sports stuff, you know, the big daddy, giant hair stacks, Mark Rocco, mm. that sort of thing. Wow. Uh, Rollerball watching, Rocco. Yeah, I've been watching WWE since 1990. It was around about WrestleMania 6 when I first started watching it. Okay, that's about the time I got into it. I got into it in the summer of 89. So when you say uh, we mentioned stuff that you had to go back and watch just because you're curious, are you talking great matches or are you talking about things like the Peter Weeks incident where he stained the canvas? Uh, a bit of both, really. <laughs> just morbid curiosity strikes. Yeah, as it were. I mean, I, I do actually vaguely remember little bits and pieces around about this time um, that we're sort of covering at the moment. Uh, I remember the, the crush... Savage uh, debacle, as it were, um, and I remember actually the battle royal from last week's episode. I do remember mm-hmm. the pull apart at the end between Razor and uh, Martel. So, for a frame of reference, about how old were you when this stuff was first airing? Uh, Ninety-three. Let me think. Um, I would have been about seventeen, eighteen at the time. Okay, I was. Tom and I are both about nine years old at this point. I know I was watching, but for Tom, this is kind of all new. He kind of tuned out for a little bit there. I yeah, I disappeared uh, after I, I pretty much as soon as Hulk Hogan lost Soul to a Warrior, I went, "That's it. This is all bad now. It can only go down from here." And I do, and I zoomed out until sort of like nineteen ninety nine, and I jumped back in again. And I'm what I'm loving about doing this is that I'm really I'm watching a lot of episodes of Monday Night Raw that I've never actually seen. I kind of know the timeline, but I don't fully know all the events that went on. So what's nice is Justin's seen these first time round, and now, John, you have as well. So I feel like I'm getting uh, wizardry and knowledge from two different sides <laughs> of the world. So, so wait a minute, Ultimate Warrior drove you out of watching? Pretty, I, I'm pretty sure it was around that time. I remember crying when Hulk Hogan lost. Like I was very upset by that, and I can't remember watching much of Warriors Reign. Maybe our folks didn't have Sky after that. Maybe Sky Television got unplugged at our house. I bet you change your tune when you're fine. When you finally win the Warrior Award, however many years from now. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine then. It'll be fine then. I'm pretty confident. I've had an idea, I'm Justin. I've had an idea. 
and okay. it involves our very special guest, Mr. John Eiley. Okay. Oh boy! Now, uh, normally, if you're new to cult, if you're new to the Cultaholic Classic Review, you will not know this part. But what John Eiley does, John Eiley is very much a linchpin of the podcast. And what we'll do throughout the show is we'll shout, John. And we will ask John to Photoshop something that we are talking about, whether it's uh, a flight of fancy or whether it's something that's legitimately happening in front of us, and, and he'll tweet out the pictures that he photoshops. But here's the thing. We cannot expect John Eiley to be photoshopping whilst he's doing the show because we, we are men and we don't multitask. It's not what we do. Yes. He is not a criminal sketch artist. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Mind you, he just gets for us, and this is pretty criminal. Um, <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. As you are listening to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review, we encourage you to tweet at John Eiley whatever you want him to Photoshop. <laughs> So, when John comes to listen back to this on the Wednesday, he'll have plenty of stuff to Photoshop whilst he does. Now, he's not obligated to do everything. He is 100% Just... obligated to do everything. Come on, let's not kill the guy here. <laughs> no, no, come on. I mean, you know, there has been times where I have actually personally said, you know, using my own creative control, where I've said, there is no way I'm doing that. Okay. Well, only on a few occasions, John. And all those times yeah, I had my rarely. trousers on. Probably maybe two or three at the most. <laughs> so, yes, John, John has creative control in the same way that Bret Hart had creative control in 1997. <laughs> so what, you're just going to strop off and go to WCW? <laughs> yes, I'm going to put him into a hold and then, and then you'll put a pen in his hand and force him to do something <laughs> against his will. <laughs> but, you, but you told me I could do this on Monday night. <laughs> Do you want to know the really crazy thing is, though? You're saying that, you know, I'm not a uh, police sketch artist type person. You are? Uh, I, no, no. Oh. It, this is absolutely true. In school, I was hopeless at art. Oh, what? Really? Seriously. But my design work, the, the, my, my graphic side, is a lot greater than my actual artistic side. Oh. I mean, I could believe well, that, to be fair. I mean, it's quite common for, for people who are incredible artists to be awful on computers and obviously must be plausible the other way around. So we can kind of believe that, John. Yeah, there's okay. different facets to it. and, and, and it's, It sounds plausible. But anyway, the point being, if you tweet at John Eiley whilst you listen to this, John may or may not do your Photoshop requests whilst this episode is going on. <laughs> He's a big star after all. He is a massive star. Uh... Well, I don't know about that. You are, sir. You're, you're basically, you're joining us now on, on what I described the other day as the Cultaholic B team. <laughs> you're elevating our profile. Thank you, sir. That way. So if I'm part of the, of the B team, would that make me sort of like a, a Stevie Ray sort of thing? No, you're Bo Dallas. Hang on. Hang on here. Hang on. Let's not be hasty here. He could be Stevie Ray. I'll be Brian Adams. Tom, you could be Vincent. Oh, okay. I can deal with that. I can deal with that. It's like Occasionally that. you get a slapjack. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and, and my name is essentially a joke. So that's fine. <laughs> I can... Tom Campbell, podcasting superstar. <laughs> yes. John. 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 That's your first start of shock. John. Got to find a photo where he's not smiling, though, which is impossible. Yeah, that is, that is quite difficult. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, let's go back in the DeLorean. Uh, Justin, where and when are we this week for Monday Night Raw? 
the episode aired on Monday, October 11th, 1993. It was taped two weeks prior on September 27th in New Haven, Connecticut. This is a first because this is the first time that uh, we have the third hour of a TV taping airing on Monday Night Raw. And boy, does it show based on the heat machine. I'm really glad that three-hour Raws won't catch on because it's, uh, it's a long, it's a yeah, long old a time. Bad idea. Bad idea. And uh, you notice that the crowd on the commentary side is quite dark at this point. They turn off a lot of lights. Is the crowd piped in at some point? At some point? It's all done in post, isn't it? You can... It's it's just when there's when there's a disparity between the noise the crowd makes and the amount of movement from the crowd, it's really obvious. It's the SmackDown hair dryer in its primitive form. <laughs> you've heard you've heard of the SmackDown hair dryer, I believe. Yes, this is the, uh, the crowd pops <sighs> out of nowhere all of a sudden, and it's got like a <laughs> in the background of it. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And, and on this show, it's really prevalent because it's the third hour of a TV taping. Keep in mind, it was only a three-hour taping. It wasn't like it was taping three three-hour rolls in, in one sitting because that would be, well, like WrestleMania, basically. But That's a long old yeah, time. It's, it's excessive. Kids are probably tired in the crowd. They've been there for several hours at this point. And other than the opening match on this show, there wasn't much to really get up for throughout the course of the night in terms of absolute excitement. So uh, at this point, so we're in October 1993. John, paint a little picture for us, if you will, of how you would have been watching this episode of Monday Night Raw in October of 1993. Um, in the life of John Eiley. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, not very exciting. Um, no, I just basically sat at home watching uh, the episodes and uh, just sort of taking in the action as and when it happened. Big telly in the living room, little telly in another room. Uh, big telly in the front room. Big telly, oh, front room, big telly. That's that's where you know. It. Uh, par- parents popping in, popping out, going, "What is this? You watching?" Uh, no, no, I normally have it recorded, so I would watch it at uh, my own leisure. Right, because that was always the fun part of of when I was watching wrestling um, in uh, growing up. Because it was always it was always my dad that showed more of an interest than my mum did, and my dad was still a bit like, "What's going on then? Are they? This isn't for real, is it?" Like it was that air of disbelief that came from going. Why are you watching this nonsense? <laughs> and then you would yell at her like Rupert Pupkin and uh, King Comedy. Mom, I'm watching wrestling. Mom, I'm watching the wrestling. My no, fa- I was my... never anything like that personally, but uh... <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> they were they were very forgiving of your of your habit of watching um, oily men hitting each other. Yeah, basically. That's good to know. That's good to know. The important thing, the important thing is that you were happy and not doing drugs, and off the streets. True. That's what men on a mission we're so, all about. <laughs> Getting John Eiley off the streets. <laughs> yes, they were They were the international men on a mission. <laughs> the IMOM, so which I think Apple the... have announced today. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting you, and I'll let you crack on. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, there's a show here. Um, <laughs> so we start out with the Intercontinental Championship video package. Hyping up the fact that the vacancy will be filled tonight. Vince says that last week 20 men, and I'm quoting here, laid it all on the line. That's a very interesting phrasing for 20 men who were just in a battle royal with. <laughs> I presume the ring was surrounded by spikes and lava if they were putting it on, on the line. 
Well, you think that, but there's nothing to lose. Either if you lose the match, oh, you just keep fighting for it. Maybe you become a contender again. You don't lose an arm or anything. Yeah, but as Vince McMahon said in the opening, that some people fight their entire life for one opportunity to be a contender. Well, that's not true because nowadays, you know, you have 400 rematches on pay-per-views after you lose a match. <laughs> so that kind of runs... This is an opportunity that, that only comes 357 times in a lifetime. <laughs> that's going to be the tagline for WrestleMania 340 <laughs> when uh, Rock faces uh, Cena again. <laughs> Head, heads in jars like Futurama. Oh, beautiful. There was one... Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. John. Yeah, John, okay. feel free at any uh, point was... just to jump in on any of us because we're we're idiots. So we're happy to shut up. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually an opening line, one of the lines that uh, Vince did in it, uh, where he said oh, that was really good. The conspiracy of three could not detour the desire of one. That was a heck of a line. That was. That was, wasn't it? Yeah. That was like going to an action movie. <laughs> yeah, John. I'm actually glad you interrupted me because because that's what I was going to say. I had that written right here in my notes. I was going to say good line. It's like one is. One of the rare times in those videos back then, Vince actually had someone that was like, as you said, action movie worthy. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, the thing as well, the, the promo itself, the, the whole package, to me, it made out that the Intercontinental title was actually the belt of the WWF at the time. Because, you know, I mean, Yokozuna was, you know, hiding somewhere. We hadn't seen hiding a hair nor a butt cheek of him. Uh, since probably, yeah. I think, the attack on Crush. Well, yeah, Yokozuna was basically uh, getting ready for, you know, a possible UFC return at that point. Out on Raw here and there. And, and act as a stand-in. So, yeah, the Intercontinental belt was treated like a big deal. And, and you're filling the vacancy for it. It's, uh, it is more than a workhorse belt here. It's an important... Although it is a stepping stone to the world title, it is a very important piece of gold. And here are Razor Ramon and Rick Martel to battle over it. Who Vince actually referred to Rick Martel as the as a former WWF champion, yeah, which he has never been. Yeah, um, I think it was actually Bobby Heenan actually uh, corrected him on that as well. He said he's never held a, a singles belt in the WWF. Yeah, he's been a tag champ, but there was no mention of his partners, either Tito Santana or, by that point, road agent Tony Gurria. So Martel think, comes out for sorry. Yeah, because neither were uh, in the. Were, was Tito actually in? The, WWF at this point? I don't think he was, was he? He had just left a few months earlier. He, he'd actually been the ECW champion a couple months before this. That is such a weird <laughs> idea. Such a weird extreme, idea. The extreme matador. <laughs> I mean, there's some mileage in that. Come out like with a cape all covered in blood and rips and stuff like that. I'd be down for the extreme matador. Put, he put, put the sword through Sabu's head. <laughs> 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 that was back when ECW was very much a lot Santana, Don Morocco, Jimmy Snuka, Nikolai Volkov was there briefly. It was a much different promotion in '93. It was a weirdly was light perfect. time, wasn't it, for ECW? When it was this, is when it was Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yes, it was like the week before this was when Sabu, Taz, and Dreamer all did. So it started to take on that flavor of the future days. So it's Razor Ramon versus Rick the Model Martel for the Intercontinental Championship in what even I at nine years old knew was a foregone conclusion. Because <laughs> Rick Martel had been absent for like six months before this, and here he turns up again, and 
I don't see him getting the God push at this point. Did you? Uh, no, but what I did like was, and it's only just occurred to me, and he's been back for a couple of weeks now. It's, I don't know how I've only just noticed this. How much does Rick Martel's music sound like Val Venus's music would become? I noticed that when Val debuted in 98. <laughs> I never noticed it till today. Now that you mention it, yeah, I realize it myself now. Yeah, I'm just sort of playing it in my head and... If you, yeah. put, you have some like kind it's of the, it's the, the, the sort of hot music at the start, isn't it? And some Ken, you add in a bit of Kenny G sort of sax riffing, and you've pretty much got Val Venus's theme music. Pretty much, yeah. And in fact, Razor Ramon's music. I don't know if you're a fan of the band The Eagles, but there's a song of theirs that the radio song basically knocks off. Do you know which one it is? No, no. That would be those shoes. Whoa! Hang on a minute. Listen, like the first twenty seconds of the song, you will hear it. Hang on, hang I mean, on, hang on. It doesn't have that like a uh, Spanish uh, flavor to it, but it, it does have the same like drum beat. Raise the river! Yeah. It's coming out right now. Say hello to the bad eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to the Joe. boys of summer. <laughs> You think you're so bad, Joe Walsh? But Razor <laughs> going to take you on the Rocky Mountain way. All the way to Hotel California. You tell Glenn Fry the heat is on. <laughs> what was with Bobby Heenan keep referring to um, Razor during the match, by the way, as Desi Arnaz? You know, Lucille Ball's husband, was he still relevant then, or was it just Bobby just sort of appealing to Vince's, you know, mindset that he was still years in the past? Justin will know this. Uh, well, I, 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 I can only speculate on this, but I just assumed that Pena needed a way to kind of demean Razor, and by comparing him to, like, the biggest Latin celebrity he could think of, which I guess at that point would have been, even though he'd been dead for several years, Desi Arnaz, we didn't have Ricky Martin or Enrique Iglesias yet for him to draw parallels to. So it was, I don't know who you would have gone with at that at that point other than other than Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> but I guess cause, I mean Hina knows who he is, Vince knows who he is. I knew who he was like in name as a kid. Yeah, I, I never really watched. It. I love Lucy and reruns. But uh, I guess it's just Hina just, just just demeaning him in a very broad way. It's like even I knew at nine years old that Razor Ramon wasn't actually Latino; that he's just the diamond stud doing an accent. <laughs> so that's kind of a. See, I yeah, didn't. I didn't know that though. I just assumed that he was a Hispanic man. No, his his name is Scott Hall. He's from Minnesota. But when I but I was but surely so hang on, were we the same age when we watched this, John? Uh, Justin. Uh, yes, we were, because we're the same age now. So, yeah, we were the same age then. Were you just a bit more wise wise to the wrestling world than I was? Well, I know I'm smarter than you. I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> well, I know that... Um, I, I knew that Razor Ramon wasn't you know, from where he was, because I do actually remember seeing him in WCW, which was being shown here in the UK at the time. He was on uh, WCW Worldwide, I think it was, we used to get. And he was on there as the Damon Stud. I'll, I'll be fair. I, I had an older brother and a friend of his age. I'm still friends with today. Who turned me on to a lot of things wrestling wise. Like, like, oh, that he. This was his gimmick years earlier when he was. Um, and they showed me like you know when Scott Hall was partners with Kurt Hennig in AWA, 
when he when he had the Tomstel like mustache and yeah, was wasn't he Magnum something back then, Magnum Scott or something? Yeah, he was kind of playing on the whole Magnum PI thing, which Magnum TA was admittedly doing better at the time. But um, yeah, it's, so I, you know, I knew that that Razor Ramon wasn't actually. I'm just a dumb player watching wrestling, so it's like okay, so he's just playing a Spanish guy, which to me sounded normal. It's um, so we have this match here, and I thought it was actually a pretty good, albeit relatively short match. It told a simple story with Martel being the aggressor at different points and Razor having to overcome the odds, which is not quite in John Cena-like fashion, but still, he overcame some pretty considerable odds here with Martel wearing down on his back. Do you feel like there could have been a better opponent for Razor Ramon to kind of overcome the odds with? Well, who do you want to beat cleanly on this show as a heel that you're not going to be using big time later? I mean, you wouldn't use like Bam Bam or... IRS, who you have some plans for later on. Martel seemed like a pretty safe pick to me. Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah, yeah there's no harm in, in him losing clean. And yeah, that's fair enough. I just, I feel like, like, it was the way this was built, I kind of feel like they, it could have been a bit more odds against him than fighting Rick Martel. At a time where there was so much roster turnover and guys were coming and going at a, at a pretty accelerated clip, you know, you need to build up your Yokozuna. Quebecers, crushes all those other guys. Martel was expendable but reliable at the same time. Mm. That's how I feel, anyway. What did you make there of the match, also, John? Uh, sorry, uh, Savage did actually come up with uh, quite a, a good start for the match as well. One of his classic quotes. He said, "It's starting slow, but not really." <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I said it, and I don't know what it means. <laughs> one, thing I did, one thing I did notice here is just how much Vince was... We discussed in, in months previous about how Vince would be so antagonistic toward the heels at this point. We get a spot in this match where Martel gets Razor down with a drop to a hold and slaps the back of his head around, knocking his mullet around, which you don't do. So Razor pays him back. He gets Martel in his, in his clutches, smacks Martel around a little bit. Vince's like, yeah, how's that feel, Martel? How's that feel? It's just like super, like he's pro Razor all of a sudden. Really, very antagonistic. How does it feel like? What does it feel like to be humiliated, Razor? He, he didn't trust the heat machine to be loud enough, so he, he was trying to make sure that the, the volume was at like max decibels. <laughs> yeah. So, so the story here is that Martel gets gets the Boston Crab. Razor makes the ropes. Gets it the second time. Razor has the power out of it in a really nifty spot where he basically flips Martel over onto his back and, and is on top of him. Gets two count out of that. And Vince says, Razor appears to be back to full capacity. How? He's had his back worked on for like five straight minutes there. He um he, he got the comeback option on 2K19, so you just press triangle, and he just filled his momentum bar straight back up immediately. Or it's like the old Steel Cage Challenge games where you just hit select and you get your, all your energy back. <laughs> was that a, was that a glitch or was that a real thing? That was a thing you got like with like one extra. It's like why don't you have double the health bar in the match and if you're going to do that because once you get down to the one bar, hit select all of a sudden, you're supercharged again. It was it was the Hulk up mode, I guess. Of course, even the Mountie had it. So Ooh, I never played that so, one. John, did you play the Steel Cage Challenge game? 
No, nah, I was I was never really a console guy. I've always been a, a PC kind of kid myself. Oh, <laughs> you play proper games. So you're a Doom kid then? Oh yes. Of course. Likewise. Absolutely. That, that piece of nightmare-inducing fuel. Anyway, <laughs> Razor. Savage Savage calls this the toughest match he's ever been in. Yeah, I, I've noticed that myself. <laughs> Just after the after the uh, there's a flying body press window roll up. Savage goes, this is the toughest bet you've ever been in. Apparently, apparently he's wearing VR glasses at ringside. <laughs> yeah, but if he cuts it, cuts ringside and he was wearing VR glasses, you'd feel very silly about taking the mic. <laughs> I'm in all the <laughs> matches now. He's controlling Razor with an NES power pad. <laughs> <laughs> power out, damn you. <laughs> I'm damn pressing select to bring his power back. <laughs> Slumming Savage. down A and B at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Savage and Heener playing dance, dance, a resolution at ringside. <laughs> He's Martel, Savage. That's a not, lovely image. Not... John! <laughs> oh, wait, oh, wait, you're here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a very simple finish here. Razor gets thrown another rope. Mark, okay, see where this is going. Razor gets a knee to the face. Goes for the edge, and I can't tell if this was a slight botch, but Martel didn't go up on the first try, but Razor muscles his ass over his shoulder, and that was quite impressive. I realize Martel isn't the heaviest wrestler in the world, but that took some incredible upper body strength just to be able to do that. Up for the edge, down he goes. Martel gets spiked and almost broken in half on the, on the Razor's edge. One, two, three, and we have a new Intercontinental Champion. If I would just say one thing about the end of that match... You know, do you not think they could have sold the, the back a bit more by not you know, not being able to raise not being able to get Martel up? You know, maybe they should have finished with say a small package or something like that. It did seem a little bit uh, abrupt as well. The the razor had, had been worked on for this considerable length of time, and he didn't, as you said, you know, had, he didn't have problems with the edge other than that. I'm assuming legitimate muscle up there that he had to do. But I mean, yeah, it, it was like a nine or ten minute match that kind of just ended. I'm gonna say out of nowhere, but but after this ball crabs is working down, you think it would have been a bit longer before he finished Martel off. There was one other thing I noticed as well during the match when they went to the ad break. When they came out they weren't actually in a chin lock for a change. Yeah, that's the modern standard. Yeah, the the Baron Corbin half Nelson chin lock that I think some other wrestlers have adopted since then. It seems to be like back well in our day now it's either chin lock out of the break or going into break on the outside of the ring. Yeah, someone thinks someone does a suicide dive and like, well, let's see what will happen. Raw rolls on. And Martel's been pinned by Mr. Perfect. Well, you're not gonna believe what you just missed. That was a roll moment that'll never be duplicated. Yeah, what? So. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is Ramon is new intercontinental champion. Nice, nice way to start raw. I don't know how we feel about having, I think we've talked about this a couple of times before, how the main event of raw always seems to be the first match of the night. Well, yeah, from by 9.30 at the time. So half hour in the roll, uh, I got the big match, and it was off the bed because I had school in the morning, and I was a little boy. I yeah, because normally you would, you would start the show off to sort of build up to the, the main event, which would be obviously, obviously at the end of the show. But obviously, remember, these two episodes, this one last week's, were both pre-recorded, is that right, Justin, the week before that yes. was live? So yeah, they've probably, the, they've probably done the, the main events first. Uh, just to try and keep the crowd interested, uh, mm-hmm. but then obviously just put uh, a lot of filler in after the the two big main events. Mm-hmm. It is very Saturday night's main event, like where they would have the Hogan match on like like just before midnight, and the last match of the night would be like you know the Red Rooster versus Coco Beware or something, because it's twelve fifty and everybody's exhausted. Everybody got their Hogan fix now it's off the bed. But one thing I noticed is that just how bad the crowd sweetening was after Razor won. I mean, the crowd was kind of, if you're watching them physically, they were sort of just kind of sitting on their hands for most of the match. I mean, it is hour three of the taping. But they did pop big for the finish. The kids got into it because Razor won. But the but Vince and Savage are fading so badly under underneath these false crowd cheers. The technology was not very strong in 1993, quite obviously. No, you can always tell a fake crowd when it's there. You just, it's just nowadays they've got better at it. But if, actually, you know what? No, actually, you know what? I'm talking nonsense. Nowadays they're still bad at it because you can you can listen to NXT and you always know you always know the bits that Mara Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness have done in a studio in Stamford. You always know because their inflection is different, and it's just it annoys me because you can fake inflection so easily. But they just choose not to, or they don't think about it. It annoys me. Yeah, the same thing happens on the show. You can tell, especially at the end of the show, when um, they're saying who's coming on the show next week, you can tell it's done in a, a studio, not in the, the live crowd. I think I'd give them a little bit of credit for just the way they're able to kind of, I'm going to say deftly, but the way they separate what they do in, in, on the cutaways at ringside to what, 
what they're doing in the studio that night, it, it's almost seamless. Could be better, though. It could be. <laughs> we get the unbelievable commercial with the guy imitating all the wrestlers and trying to impress the girl at the, on the park bench. Winston, before Savage comes in and walks away with her, and she says, don't fall for cheap imitations. What I laughed at here was when they was when they came out of this, and Vince says, and he's like, you know, there's only one Randy Savage. There's only one Tatanga. He goes, there's only one Razor Ramon. Yeah, wait three years. <laughs> yeah, I put exactly that in my notes. Hey, Vince going, there's only one Razor Ramon. Yeah, but now, mate. <laughs> and now he's helping the competition beat us in the ratings every week. You remember fake rage and fake diesel, don't you, John? Uh, I don't actually. I wasn't uh, watching WWE at that time. I was oh, so I took oh, a, a year out. Um, I went you. and lived in Australia for a year and oh, wow. didn't get a chance to watch it. Um, what, what were you doing in Australia? Uh, I've got family out there, and a friend of theirs offered me a job when I was nineteen. Oh wow! What were you doing? I was twenty. Spent a year out there, and then came home. What, what did you do in Australia for a year? Uh, I was I did a few jobs. I was a trainee surveyor and a draftsman, which was my me, me first job that I was out there. Uh, I worked in a, a factory grinding metal for a little while, and I was also a barman uh, at a university. I feel like this wow. podcast, as uh, we go on, is going to be like the life and times of John Eiley. <laughs> it's not that interesting, trust the me. Life of Eiley, the life of Eiley. <laughs> it's a lightning seed song. Thank you, everybody. I'm here all <laughs> I feel kind of bad, you know, cutting out of that and going into a squash match. <laughs> but, Why? But Vince didn't. <laughs> the Head Shrinkers versus, I think I have these names right, Tommy Morrison and Sid Curtis. I liked yeah. when they cut, because what they tend to do, they like even though we know that these lads are enhancement talent, they always mm. do a courtesy cut to them as their names are being mentioned. And for the first time, they cut to them, and they weren't like together in the ring doing their poses, because one was in the ring, and one was looked like he was shuffling away from the ring. Like he was going, <laughs> I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this now. Well, it's the head shrinkers, so obviously they're going to be a bit intimidated. Did you see the kid's face in the audience when they cut to the audience? And this, this young lad uh, with blonde hair is just sort of sitting there, and he's looking as if to say, okay, what are these guys going to be doing? <laughs> really? Yeah, it, it, as, the, as the head shrinkers are coming to the ring, it, it cuts to this kid, and he just sort of looks as if to say, okay, what's the deal with these two then? <laughs> sure, like, sure is quiet in here. Quick, quick turn the heat machine up even more. <laughs> Did you notice I was taking uh, the head shrinker stuff from ringside, by the way? Is that Tony Schimmel? Yes! It was, yeah. Waiting for He's his Tony moment, Schimmel. waiting for Howard Fingles to be poorly, so he can step in and become the commentator and the ring announcer that we all want. And be the man who says the rated R superstar. <laughs> Tommy Morrison, I should note, is not that Tommy Morrison, not the guy who helped ruin the Rocky franchise. Nor well, is he a rated R. He was actually mentioned during the match. Um, yes, he was. Just, just before the, uh, the, fa- the final tag, Heenan says, uh, Is that the boxer Tommy Morrison? And McMahon goes, That's not the boxer Tommy Morrison. This man's getting off the canvas. God, Vince must be really bitter that boxing was doing. Comparable, if not better, numbers on pay-per-view than wrestling at that. So, it's basically what you have your uh, typical headshrinkers match here, where they just destroy these two guys in tremendous fashion. Vince takes occasion to ask Heenan about the Rock and Roll Express. Should have asked Savage, and Savage put Ricky Morton through a table once. 
Oh, I did not know this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's it's one of the the greatest sell jobs of all time. Well, it's Ricky Morton, so of course it's gonna be one of the best sell jobs ever. That's true. But it was Savage and Lanny versus the Rock and Roll Express, I think, in '83 or '84 down in Memphis. And Savage put Ricky through this table, and the crowd was aghast, as the Memphis crowd is wont to be. Because because Savage uh, was the hated outlaw heel, because his father Angela ran the ICW outlaw promotion in the late '70s, and I believe Kentucky and and Tennessee. I could be wrong here if Jim Cornette happens to listen to this. I know he's going to chew me out for that if I got it wrong. But yeah, Savage and Lanny were pretty big heels in that in that time. Savage was very lawful. The father was was big business right before Savage jumped at WWE. But yeah, Savage did screw up Ricky Morton pretty badly on that spot in kayfabe, mind you. So Fatu launches one of these poor bastards over inside. I assume it's Sid Curtis. Curtis is out on the canvas. Samu slaps him with his foot to try to wake him up. That was the best spot of the match. Just a little light kick to the face, going, "Come on now, come play." Yeah, Yeah, but when come on, wiki wiki. (laughs) So Curtis is is dead to the world. Double leg sweep, headrinker splash finishes. Just your typical headrinker squash. Nice away to establish them once again. Because I don't think we've seen them for a little while, have we? Not for a few weeks, but like I said, it always is great to see them just because of how unique your squashes are. Where somebody ends up unconscious and popularly in the apron for three hours after the show's already ended, like that one time. I think it was Mike Moraldo, was that poor guy's name? Oh, God. I remember that was, he just lay there the whole match. Could run an outline around them. He earned, a, he earned his $20 that night. If it was even $20 they got. They had to force feed him his hot dog. They had to mash it up for him. <laughs> oh, that was quite a moment a few weeks ago. It's You can listen back to it on an old podcast. I'd love to tell you which one, but it's more fun for you to find it. I don't remember. <laughs> it's like a scavenger hunt. Okay, good luck with that. Off you go. Get a commercial for the 1993 Survivor Series, which would be more than happy to cover when it comes up. Vince McMahon inviting the WWF fans for Thanksgiving, for stuffing and squash. If you love it shows, it's the, it's the only Thanksgiving pay-per-view tradition, which he obviously stole from uh, Jim Cro- Jim Crockett Promotions uh, when they tried to do Starcade at uh, Survivor at uh, the same time. Well, they drove him out, did they not? They did, yeah. Showed them who was boss. <laughs> like, don't worry, everyone's going to remain loyal to us. Crockett said, as three three providers in, in the Carolinas and one in, one in San Jose stayed loyal. Everybody else went with Vince. Such Vince a prom- dick move from well, Vince. Vince told, him, Vince told him, if you air uh, Starcade, you're not getting WrestleMania 4. Such a dick move. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's pretty savvy on his part. Oh, yeah, it's the nature of the beast. I get it, but still, dick move. <laughs> and I will say for Survivor Series 93, if you love shows with 800 substitutions, this is your card. Oh, I love it. I'm excited. I see that's another show that I've not seen. Um, you're half lucky. I'm half lucky. Okay. I've I've seen worse shows, but it still wasn't that good. Owen Hart versus Scott King. Scott King has a fantastic mullet. It has to be noted. I'd like to point out as well that Scott King looks and in this his face looked familiar. 
and I couldn't figure out where. I encourage you to look at a picture of Scott King and then look at a picture of Grado. <laughs> ICW's own Grado. So he was like Grado in sort, in sort of a larval form, you're saying? He's larvae form Grado. I promise you. And it's not a dig on Grado. Grado. I love Grado. I love that conversation we had that time where he went, you're right, big man. That'll do. That's a great conversation I've had with Grado. Love him to death. And uh, I, I genuinely, he, I think he looks like Grado. So what, you, so what you're telling me is that if The Rock ever shows a produced a movie fighting with my hat on, about the life of Grado, you would think you would have Scott King play Grado. Absolutely, I would not. He play. I think because he's now quite old. I think he played Grado's dad. <laughs> okay, fair enough. In fighting with my hat on, <laughs> or fighting with my bum bag. <laughs> <laughs> Both titles are good. Fighting for the rights for that Madonna song. <laughs> fighting with my lawyers. <laughs> so Vince has the audacity to call the hearts a tight knit family and what could be the funniest line in the history of Monday Night Raw <laughs> just read just read Bret Hart's book one time and once you're over the PTSD after reading certain parts <laughs> you will know that is a goddamn lie Bret's book is a bit tiring isn't it it's 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 not a light just before reading uh, just a bit of reading before bed type book it's quite a heavy it's heavy going but it's Worth so, reading, though. It, it oh, is, yeah, it, it's but it's always oh, heavy. It's it's compelling, though. You learn so much. And, and the way he just frames it, frames every era and, like, every moment, like, you can see everything in your mind's eye. Such a great storyteller. I did like the uh, line Bobby came up with when he said, uh, how many kids have they had? Vince said, they've <laughs> had 12 kids. And Bobby goes, oh, one of each then. <laughs> Bobby Enan every week comes out with something and I go, God, you're just the man, aren't you? You are but just the man. There's one thing though that I noticed during the match. Bobby Heenan uh, was having a go at the hot parents as usual. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, what's the mom called? Uh, Halatio? And not, <laughs> the thing is, I'm not sure if Vince afterwards either said Halatio or it replace replace the H with an F. <laughs> yes. I, I thought I heard that too, and I'm, I'm, I'm... yeah. I mean, I was listening to it wearing headphones, and I, I had to go back about three or four times. I'm like, did he say Halatio or did he say the other word? <laughs> and I, I, I still can't decide. It keeps holding me to the phrase Halatio Hornblower. Hiyo. <laughs> <laughs> And then during this match, which I have to note was was actually a very spirited squash because Owen's hitting all these high concept suplexes and missile drop kicks and stuff. Heenan's going on about Radio WWF and JR asking the tough questions of his guests and mentions it by name Terry Funk as having been on the show. Yeah, big nod to Terry Funk, and he's furious with Jim Ross for letting him on Radio WWF. I thought that was nice. Yeah, I mean, Terry Funk wasn't even part of uh, WWF at the time, was he? So. But- it, it, it's kind of a precursor to the Ross report, isn't it? It is, and what's it's actually interesting. I want to go off on a whole tangent here because it, because this can be saved for a later episode of the show. But Funk was supposed to be at Survivor Series '93. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was supposed to be one of uh, the King's Knights, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was supposed to be unmasked during the match and revealed to be Terry Funk as part of the original plan. I didn't realize that he was supposed to be unmasked. I just realized I just knew he was going to be one of the original Knights. That was all. 
Well, as as the story goes, he was um, he's supposed to join the office afterwards as like Pat Patterson's assistant, and and possibly take over for Pat as Pat lightened his uh, duties after that. But then Funk had a change of heart like at the last minute, and he he, he called out the Vince and said, I, "I can't make it Survivor Series. Uh, my my horse is sick." <laughs> I was I was gonna ask if this was the one where his horse was sick. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that like his universal excuse for everything? Yeah, pretty pretty much. And then a few years later at the 97 Rumble when Funk turned up again, first thing Vince said to him was, so how's your horse? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't have a horse. Oh, I mean, it's fine. I'm surprised you remember that story. I give it to everybody. <laughs> Vince, you egg-sucking toad. <laughs> but... But anyway, yes, it's, it was bizarre to hear Terry Funk name drop during a, a 1993 broadcast of WWF. It's positively surreal in hindsight. But yeah, the, the, that got me as well. Afterwards, uh, Savage was saying, uh, "Someone's going to be on the radio WWF, but I don't know who it is." <laughs> <laughs> and he knew damn well who it was. And in fact, it would be the most intriguing episode of the show airing this Saturday. Randy Savage going to be on the. Ro- on Jim Ross's Radio WBF broadcast. And uh, we'll be discussing that next week on the show, Tommy. Oh, I'm excited to talk about Radio WWF. I, I, oh. hear, I hear it's getting a national breakfast show. <laughs> That's a radio in the UK joke. That's slightly awkward. We'll carry on. <laughs> I wonder what could have been on Radio WF at the time other than Jim Ross's interview. I reckon like, they would have had a request out of a theme songs. Okay. I reckon there would have been uh, wrestling-based traffic reports. So it would have been, uh, if you're traveling from the outer reaches of your mind, there is a heavy articulated lorry that has crashed and closed one lane. You would have... You had like a Paul Harvey like advice type show, or, or, or just like some Americana. Nice. And that boy's name, and that boy's name was Gerald Briscoe. Ooh. <laughs> have a, you have a section where you can um, uh, call Jack. So you call Jack Tunney, and he offers you advice uh, on on the topics of the day. Or, or, or would you save Jack Tunney? For like the sort of club classics disco night, I think that would probably be a bit more appropriate. It is my decision that erectile dysfunction does not have to be the end of your happiness. Furthermore, they make pills for that now. <laughs> He'd voice all the adverts. <laughs> I wish I had enough to marry the confess. You know. Any erectile problems? I, I may have one day. The, the Jack Tony, even if it is in spirit. <laughs> I love the idea. Okay, we need to. Okay, I think on a future episode we are going to further explore Radio WWF. It might even be next week. I think we need to explore this. <laughs> Does Jack Tony have a whack pack? Like Howard Stern, <laughs> Bastion Bugger, uh, <laughs> Macho Midget. Yeah, he he he's like Beetlejuice. Um, um, who else could there be in it? Um, see, crack, crackhead Bob. Well, Jesus, take your pick. Don't say any names, though, because that might, might, might be slanderous. <laughs> um, just like, who, 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 I invented that, Robin. <laughs> in the tunny, in the tunny pate. 
<laughs> so yes, we have we have Owen versus Scott King here. Oh yeah, Scott King. I forgot about him. Or apparently uh, his real name, according to Heenan, was Scott Kowalski, but he just changed it to King because he was in awe of Jerry the King Lawler. It's plausible. Which yep. then, which then led to uh, Vince saying something about uh, a real Kowalski, Killer Kowalski, but they never followed up on it. You just mentioned it and just left it at that. Just some guy named Killer Kowalski who may or may not train your future son-in-law. Oh, he did, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, oh. certainly did. P- Perry Saturn. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the NXT card. You're welcome. <laughs> the Saturn Moppy era. Oh, just think there is a multiverse somewhere where Perry Saturn does marry Stephanie McMahon and book NXT. While Hunter walks around with Moppy. <laughs> John? <laughs> yes! We've officially got meta! Yes! <laughs> It's the best it's a day time to be alive. We've gone better. <laughs> Vince has this other bizarre line where he says he's not sure weasels have sisters. Um, yeah, not- that was that was. I, I know I have Google this, and Google doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I imagine it's not real. <laughs> the Vince Man Googling Twitter account: Do weasels have sisters? <laughs> <laughs> Owen finished with a missile dropkick and a Northern Lights suplex, Shades of Alicia Fox. Yeah, that, that, that puzzled me. Why have a missile dropkick and then go with the Northern Lights suplex? Wouldn't you just do one or the other, really, to finish the match off? You would think it was... It's like when Marcus Corvon debuted in WWE and, and he did the pounds, but then he finished with a cross arm breaker. Oh, that was a weird time, that was, yeah. Certainly. Um, I did like the Northern Lights, though. It's like his version of the Perfect Plex. Now you're going to see a Northern Lights suplex. <laughs> Hot take. I think okay. Owen Hart was, is, forever will be a better wrestler than Bret Hart. I slightly disagree with that. Oh, okay. I just find Owen well, Hart more exciting Owen, to watch. Owen was definitely the the high fire of the two of them. Um, but he, he, he could still work the mat as necessary, just like Bret could. Owen was more agile. But Brett was a better storyteller. That's a good. That's a good comment. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, actually, but, but... Um, slightly morbid uh, connection here. Uh, okay. The day when Hart died on May twenty third, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, that was actually my birthday. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, dear. the over the edge pay per view took place uh, that day, and um, I didn't see it live. Uh, I didn't actually know about Owen's death until I think it was the Tuesday. I was heading to work and uh, had the a newspaper with me. Oh, and I was wow. just reading on the way to work, and I just saw this big headline on the on the pages inside, and it just said something like uh, "Wrestler dies in tragic accident," and I had a photograph of Owen in the ring with the the medics around him and Jerry Lawler holding yes. his head. Yes, uh, it was a black and white photo. You couldn't really; it wasn't a, a full color one. And I just sit, sat and read the story on the bus and. My jaw was practically on the floor as I was reading it. I still remember the announcement that JR made because I was I wasn't watching. I had I had a turn to the pay per view channel that night. I was just listening to like the, you know, the screen was scrambled, but you could hear the audio of what was going on. So it was like radio. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember just, just when JR says to let you all know that Owen Hart has died, 
I mean, like my heart just like skipped the beat. It's like like I knew it was like even for as messed up as the storylines were at the time, like how far fetched they could be. Like I knew that was this dude was legitimate, and it just I remember telling my brother, I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but Owen Hart just died, and he's and he couldn't believe it because he, he he knew that like this, this might sound a little, a little a little bit trivial, but you know Owen wasn't part of, like the big storylines at that point, so it wasn't like you know why would they fake Owen Hart's death on a show just for a storyline purpose? That's like no, he fell from the ceiling from I guess a stunt gone wrong, and it was it was just the weirdest feeling in the world that that could actually happen on a wrestling pay per view or any event for that matter, because it was it was almost like I mean wrestlers have died in the ring before. This was just on a whole other level. Yeah, I mean, this was like international uh, broadcast, basically, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was just a surreal night, to say the very least. Very much so. And uh, it was one of the... I remember watching... I was watching um, Over the Edge live on Sky Sports, and when they... Uh, I, mean, it was, I think you knew something... Well, when JR said, we're going to show you... Uh, a highlight reel of um, how this other match happened. We've we've got some problems out here. We'll be back with you soon. And you thought that's a weird thing to say. And yeah, because they, they were show- just basically showing wide shots of the crowd the whole time, weren't they? That's it. And then once they showed this to the video, it was just wide shots of the crowd, shots of Jr. and uh, Jerry Lawler, and they were just talking about what happened and 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 constantly saying this is not a wrestling angle. This is not part of the storyline. Um, Owen Hart fell from the ceiling and then obviously later that night they announced he died and it was forever question of whether or not they should carry on the show and a lot of people said they should have stopped the show right there and they should have all gone home but they you know it's they didn't and it set a precedent going forward now so like if anything like that was to you know would not it will never happen again but uh, it means they'd carry on but it was a very weird night watching that live as you say very surreal to, and even yeah. now to think on it, because we're coming up to like twenty years since it happened. Yeah, twenty years this year. Jeez, it, it's just I'll just never forget JR's announcement. That's that's always the part that stands out to me the most. Just because you almost like you couldn't believe it. Like, but even when he said it, you just knew that it was there was a finality to it. Just the way that it, what they call the Owen voice now, just not quite soothing, but just. You know, downbeat enough to where you knew that this was out of character. And I think JR only had like 30 seconds before he made the announcement that, that he was informed that Owens died. We need you to tell everybody. And like, I mean, God, what a spot to be in. How do you process that? Gee, good not Anyway, that's um, awful times. That's- awful times. But but let's look. We could reflect on that or we could enjoy the fact of what an incredible wrestler Owen Hart was. And we're seeing him in the early stages. And what's quite exciting is that we're now going to see this evolution of Owen Hart over the next couple of years on Monday Night Raw. And very soon we will see the beginning of what would be the greatest run of his career in just a few short weeks from now, actually. Talking of great great career runs. We're about to hear from Ludwig Borger! I do have to say that we have my new favorite Ico Pro commercial with Razor Ramon in it. They're proud to feature him now that he's won the Intercontinental Belt. Making these incredibly strained faces while doing these um, barbell curls. <laughs> You're to see that Luger, Tatanka, some had Crush, some had Brett. Here's a new one with different music. And, here, and, and here's Razor's eyes bugging out of his head while he's doing these... <laughs> 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a very heavy weight, but it was just it, it looked kind of comical. I got to be honest with a, with a toothpick in his mouth as well, which is quite frankly a health and that, safety hazard. That's badass, though. You got to admit, <laughs> he yeah, does look pretty badass. <laughs> I mean, like Skinner doing dumbbell curls with like like the chaw hanging out, hanging out from his lips, <laughs> chewing tobacco <laughs> running down his mouth. <laughs> Sandman doing uh, bench presses with like, 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 like a beer helmet on. A cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Best Rocky training montage ever. <laughs> <laughs> There's no easy way out. Take up the ticks. There's no shortcut. Home. And speaking of the evil foreigners, here's Ludwig Borga. Brock Skelesner, baby! <laughs> <laughs> the next big things go. This is, I love Ludwig Borger. I really do. Like, Me too. It's just the brief bits that we've seen of him. He has been good comedy bands. He has been, like, explosive in the ring. Like, he's, he's actually not a bad package. His promos are so bad, though. They are funny, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, do, go, they do go too far around the other side of the track. And I mean, this one yeah. is pretty similar. Especially the line where he says, USA in my continent stands for you stink a lot. <laughs> you stink a lot. That's your minute t shirt. Make... pointing that at the camera. Does he make a comment and a lot about giving a dig to people who can't breathe all right? <laughs> well, people people with asthma getting a getting a shoe in. You people on ventilators, you you write so illegibly that I cannot understand what you are crying about today. <laughs> I'm not sure if one is the cause of the other, but you're bad. A big love for Borger, who is who's walked out to the ring. Vince McMahon is waiting for him, and uh, he's given us all this USA. You stink a lot. People can't breathe. All right, la la la. And then big love. <laughs> For for bringing back the garbage truck driver remark, another giving another referring to Lex Luger driving a garbage truck. No, just driving garbage. He drives. He's a garbage driver. <laughs> he's a garbage. I'm sure he says garbage truck driver in this. Yeah, I've, oh, I've written. I've got it written down garbage truck driver. He retcons oh, it this week. He's not just driving garbage. He's now a garbage truck driver. Nah, it's when Luger comes out, is this the first scene we've had, we've had of him since SummerSlam? This is the first time we've seen Luger in about 300 years. It's, this is like your new hero who's like, he's going to be here all the time, unlike Hulk Hogan. We've not seen him since August. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, I mean, he did have a back injury at one point. But I do think they were kind of you know, letting the bad finish die down a little bit. Kind of best to just put him on the sidelines for now and then bring him back. A little bit later on, the few let the stink air out a little bit because, as Borger said, he did stink a lot. <laughs> Do you think he was, I thought maybe he was just overtired from all those days sleeping on a bus and giving uninspired promos. Probably tired him out. <laughs> well, well uh, speaking of his promos, uh, Luga really uh, could have done with a, a dictionary because if you notice at one point he goes to say the word vocabulary and then stops himself and then changes to something completely different. <laughs> he doesn't trust himself enough to get it right. So he goes, what words do I know in my brain? Well, he certainly doesn't know the word 
uh, accolades either. He says allocades for that one. Oh, God. <laughs> Lex. Piss Rusev off of that one. <laughs> he does... Um, I mean, the heat machine was happy to see him, so that's what's important. Yes, yeah, so that heat machine about, really revved up. <laughs> yeah, Luger's going on about, you know, like, America's so great, you know, all, all, all that spiel. Vince goes, tell it like it is! Like he's Howard Cosell. <laughs> like, like, I'm amazed Vince wasn't standing behind Luger during this promo and putting his head over Luger's shoulder like, like, like his, like his toady. <laughs> you tell him! You tell him, big guy! It's you like tell Luger him, big is- man! It's like Luger's Scott Farkas in a Christmas story, and Vince is his little psychic Grover. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're just here to bully Ludwig Borga, who I guess is Ralphie in this instance. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I shot my eye out. <laughs> Pierre's like, that's my gimmick. So Luger says the word trite at one point, which I think most fans had to look up. <laughs> and then he tells Ludwig Borger to if he to either like it or leave it. Was it like it or leave it? Love it, love it or leave it. Love it or leave it. Love yeah, it or leave it. Love it or leave it. Yeah. So he challenges Borger to a fight. He takes his shirt off. He's going to fight in his Americana Zubaz. <laughs> Borger says the fight when he says they're going to fight, and he just leaves. And they play the old, uh, they play the American music. What's the? It's not Hail to the Chief, is it? It's what's that song? Star, Stars and Tribes Forever. Stars and Tribes Forever. There we go. Stars and Tribes Forever. By John Philip Sousa. So Luger's back on telly. Like this is like your like our main guy is now finally back on Raw. Uh, well, their idea what the main guy is, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't endorse it, but it's, <laughs> that's what they're that's what they're telling us. So I'm trying to roll with the punches. And uh, there's the guy that they want us to be the main guy, and there he is in a in a feud in the middle of the road with Ludwig Borger. So come on, USA. Even Ludwig knows that New Haven, Connecticut, is not a place for a main event feud <laughs> with a garbage let's driver. It, let's save it for the A towns, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our next match, which is Adam Bomb versus friend of the show Ross Greenberg. And we, so we we have the video of the mushroom cloud that precedes Bomb's entrance. And Vince talks about how well there's a catastrophe. And speaking of catastrophes, Savage Crush could be one next week. It's like you're comparing two guys who are having a spat to the the dropping of a, of a nuclear bomb on another country. Seems legit to me. <laughs> it, it, it almost computes, I guess, in Vince's mind. <laughs> it's a weird old time. I've got to say, chaps, and I hope that you both agree with me on this. So Adam Bomb comes out with Harvey Whippleman. There's a bit of discussion about managers changing hands and stuff. And Ross Greenberg is already in the ring, right? Greenberg mm-hmm. looks great. He, he was in great shape for uh, an enhancement talent. He wasn't one of the usual... You know, un- unimpressively muscular, unimpressively bodied schlubs they would have on a lot of these shows. Yeah, to one of the crowd didn't start going Greenberg, <laughs> Greenberg, Greenberg. <laughs> Except the it's the other side of the wing column that gets the uh, numbers. He's he's the anti Goldberg. He's the Greenberg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the cheap Goldberg. <laughs> he just he starts as Goldberg, but then it, it turns Greenberg when you put it in your hands. He's he's uh his catchphrase is I'm next. And he says every single time. <laughs> Who's lost? <laughs> Where's North from here? 
<laughs> so, so Bob is now managed by Harvey Whippleman, which is a big downgrade from Johnny Polo. Admittedly, Harvey needs somebody because Mr. Hughes got fired and Johnny Gonzalez is persona non grata now. Keenan talks about Well Done, the first mention of them on, on the show, I believe. Oh, yeah. We're getting to the Well Done era of Monday Night Raw. I'm so excited. Era? It's more like a blip. <laughs> the only thing we, I remember of Well Done was the fact that they wore jock straps over the top of their wrestling gear. Yeah, they had like thongs. Hot like, 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 pink thongs, lest we forget. Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn, formerly the Southern Rockers, when they were Rex King and uh, Stephen Dahl. They were a solid team, but just they were kind of a – well, they were definitely an afterthought in WWE. Gosh, imagine, imagine pitching that. What would you have thought, being the Southern Rockers, being in this meeting with Vince, going, we're going to offer you all this money, we're going to make you worldwide stars. You're going to wear a hot pink thong over your yellow tights. Like, what? What do you... I guess they took the money like bandits, as I think we all would. I just find it really amusing, the idea of that conversation. I have thought over the years, like, what was the meeting like when you see some of this stuff? Well, it, it, it could have been worse for them. You know, there could have been uh, the Portuguese men of war. <laughs> oh, You're going to wear those thongs over your face. <laughs> And you're from Portugal. Okay. <laughs> and your gimmick is that you can floss your teeth while you wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, just don't wear them the other way, sir. Not yummy. Oh God. <laughs> oh. That's not one of my hairs. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> So just to show how primitive this show is, we have a discussion about the brand new ESPN2 channel, <laughs> which is which is still in operation today. And f- fun little note, the first time they went on the air in 1993 on that one Friday night, Keith Olbermann, who, who's now a, who's back with ESPN now, a, a well-known political commentator, was on the very first broadcast, and the first words he said to the audience were, good evening and welcome to the end of my career. <laughs> no way! Is that how it started? Yep, that oh. was the birth of ESPN2, which God. which would beget such well-known stars as, uh, I can't remember her name, now, Linda Cohn, I believe, uh, Susie Kolber, and the late, great Stuart Scott. Wowzers. I love how that started. That is a wonderful way to kick off a channel. Now, normally in the UK, we just launch a new channel with Countdown. Yes, uh, Oberman was a little bit less optimistic about the prospects of ESPN2, and he wanted the way back to the real ESPN. Should the channel tank? Because Oldman was kind of a was kind of a grump in some ways. So it's your typical bomb squash. He just beats Greenberg down for a bit. There was a great spot here where he was choking Greenberg with one hand, and Greenberg is hitting his arm like, like, like these sledgehammer blows when they're trying to break break the grip, but Bomb is not breaking it. I thought that looked really cool, actually. Everything Adam Bomb does just looks cool. Like he's, I just, I, I think I say this every single week, but whenever he's in there with uh, enhancement talent, he just comes out with moves that like wouldn't look out of place in 2019. Could Adam Bomb be the best squash match wrestler ever? Like Ooh, his regular matches are like nothing special, but against someone that he's acting dumb, he looks great. I think quite possibly. It's definitely up there. He hits the slingshot clothesline, almost messes it up, falls a little bit short. Vince, Vince, Vincent, Vincent has the balls to compare Savage Crush's Summit next week 
to the Nixon Brezhnev summit from I guess 1970 something. And he says, "You remember that summit?" No, I don't. It was 1973. You think you think he lays it on thick now, right? I've caught a glimpse of the next episode, the first few minutes of the next episode, which is the episode of the Savage mm-hmm. Crush Summit. So you think he lays it on thick now? You wait till that opening vignette on Monday Night Raw next week. Wow, he slathers it on. <laughs> You want to talk audacity? Oh my god, it's incredible! <laughs> so the Adam Smasher finishes decent squash match. I liked Adam Bomb a lot. I don't know about you guys, but he was one of my favorites at the time. Actually, what do you think of Adam Bomb, John? Uh, he was impressive. That was for sure. Uh, I remember as well <clears throat> a little bit later on uh, when he would come to the ring, he would. Get into the ring, you would do a pause and it would actually let off a little mushroom cloud off behind him. I, I do remember that that was when he started getting pyro and, and the lighting techniques around like the summer of 94, I believe. So he started doing all that just to kind of spice up the shows a bit. Yeah, I can't remember when it, when it was exactly, but I just remember that when the mushroom cloud would go off, it would instead of being like sort of a, a big sort of boom and you know a decent sort of cloud going off, it was basically like someone had just taken a cigarette, taken a really long drag, and just went. It was like a Roman candle almost. Just about, that level yeah. of smoke. <laughs> of course, that was still better than like neutron bombs. But that comes later. Got all that to look forward to. Rock and Roll Express versus the Jobber Dream team of Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill. Or as I, I called it, the Battle of the Mullets. <laughs> oh, it's a mullet sensation, this match, isn't it? There is some fine mulletage in this match. I would like to I'd like to applaud Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill, who now have mullets that complement each other. In the sense that one yes. has a mullet that's quite dark on the top and light at the bottom. One has one that's light on the top and dark on the bottom. <laughs> They're taking this tag team seriously. Instead of having matching tights, they have mat- they have a... Uh... Inverted mullets, which indicates partnership. They have yin yang mullets, basically. Because <laughs> when you think of the yin yang symbol, you think of Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill's mullets. <laughs> <laughs> what I caught here at the very start of this match when Bobby Heenan says, That's Robert Gibson right there, and that's Ricky on the apron. And, he, and you're thinking, Well, maybe they may have never seen Ricky and Robert before. He's probably telling Vince that. Vince has been Cornette a bit rubbish lately, to be fair. Because as Cornette would point out years later in a shoot interview, when they, when the rock and rolls were brought in for uh, this brief period, he had, Vince actually asked Cornette, okay, which one first one, Robert? Because he didn't watch Rock and Roll Express matches. So he was asking he was asking which was which, basically, as the night went on. Yeah, and, and, and Bobby Heenan, I think, is just, um, it seems like a courtesy to the audience that, you, you, you know, you're kind of spoon-feeding who's who to them. He's probably telling his boss that. The easy way to remember... Is is uh, and I'm and I'm sure we all know this and it, and it, I'm not being harsh by saying it. The easy way to remember is Robert. Robert's the one with the weird eye. <laughs> oh yes, he he does have the does have the wandering eye. But actually, the easy way to tell it is you see that one here's getting beaten for twenty minutes straight. Okay, that's Ricky. <laughs> they also came out uh, their music as well. Was also the music that Jim Cornette used at uh, WrestleMania 17 for the gimmick battle royal. I do remember that. Pretty nifty little uh, guitar riff. Oh, yeah, it was a great piece of music. So that means that on this show, we have two pieces of music that were used in the gimmick Battle Royal of 2001. 
At least two, yeah. yeah. At least uh, two. Because Nikolai moved to Finland and used her national anthem for a night. I love that's the that's my favorite bit. Is the fact that Volkov came out to to <laughs> Finnish to Finnish music because Vince just went, "Ah, oh, put some foreign music out there." Yeah. And just to tie it all together from that time frame, the Headshrinkers theme, which which was like for for, for Haku in two thousand one, <gasps> it was. This is really strange. It's like a time life music. The the songs of two thousand one. <laughs> the more you know. One thing I also noticed as well at the start of the match, Robert Gibson. Do you not think he was acting a bit heelish? Because he takes his uh, his Smoky Mountain title off his waist, and he sort of lunges at the at Hardy and uh, sorry, doing Gil. Gil and yep. yeah, Gil and Hardy. He sort of lunges at them with the belt as if to say, "Well, come on, then. You know, I'll have you." And then. As soon as the match starts, Robert's in the ring, and he just sort of kicks out at uh, Dwayne Gill, even though Dwayne Gill's on the apron, and he hasn't even done anything. But Gibson's just like, uh, lashes out of kicking him. He's probably just irritable because they're on hour seven of the taping. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's probably got some uh, young ladies waiting for him back at the uh, hotel room. <laughs> when the taping started, Savage popped of his partner through a table. That's how long the show has been. <laughs> So just a typical squash match just to kind of introduce the team to the audience. We've got a great spot in here where I mean, they're working over Hardy's leg and, and Ricky held it on the mat, tagged out Robert, and Robert slingshots in and drops a knee across the leg. You never see that move. Just very basic stuff. You know, double drop kick finishes. Probably the Bobby, worst finisher in uh, the history of pro wrestling, that. <laughs> You're not a yeah, fan it, of the double drop so... kick? Nah, it's it, just double drop kick. Take the pin. Nah, it, it's just... Nah, sorry. I mean, I like the Rock and Roll Express, don't get me wrong, but I just didn't think the finisher was uh, anything yeah, great. I do agree with that. It, it is kind of weak sauce for attacking finisher, although it's it's a safe move, at least, as opposed to some of these contraptions that come up with today, like, uh, well, this isn't today, but the Homicide Loki move, where Homicide has him in the vertebraker, and Loki hits a double flying stomp to the guy's ass and drives him head first into the mat. Oh, gee, boss. Oof. I'll, I'll take the double. I'll take the double drop kick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, if you're a wrestler, you're gonna. Yeah, I'd rather have that one, please, because those two take all the bumps, really. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it was a middle ground in there. Like, like the heart attack clothesline's fine. It, it looks nifty enough. Doomsday device scared scared the crap out of some people over the years. Understandably, wouldn't want to flip out of that. No. I quite like seeing the um, the Smoky Mountain tag belts on this show. That's a nice touch. Were, I like that. They were small belts, though. Yeah, in comparison uh, to what the WWF have much of a budget, though, did he? No, they're like the center plate looks like it's the size of a... Almost like a, a teacup saucer. It, 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 it could be worse, though. Could have been the old WCW world title uh, that they brought in for when uh, Barry Windham and Lex Luger fought for it at Bash of the Beach in 81? Oh, yeah, it was like, a, it was like the Western Heritage... Western Heritage States title where they put like the um they just put World, States Yeah, they just put um World Champion WCW World Heavyweight Champion or something over the top of it on a plate. On, on like athletic tape or something. Could be worse, it could be it could be impact that binned off their belt when they became Global Force Wrestling, became unglobal force wrestling uh, about a month later, and had to get a sticker over the top of the GFW logo that said impact. <laughs> Because they didn't have the money to buy a new belt, so it was just a sticker over the top. 
Hey, remember when Flair was a tag team champion for like a month in WWE? You know, yeah, and the, out... the, they had to blow the belt out, didn't they? Yeah, so they had to use like a, a tag belt instead because he, he gave the original belt back to uh, not Jim Hurd, but whoever his successor was. Uh, Kip Fry, I think it was, who took over from uh, Jim Hurd. That's right, K. Allen Fry. Um, so yeah, it was just you know just Rock and Roll getting introduced here as part of this cross pollination between WWE and Smoky Mountain, and we'll see it express a little bit more. Funny to note here, I I just discovered this yesterday while I was while I was getting ready for the show in my research. The, the Rock and Rolls had already debuted on TV at this point. The previous day on All American Wrestling, they lost via countout to Well Done because Cornette distracted them. Oh, okay. Again, nice bit of cross pollination. So instead of you know, debuting them with a win over Hardy and Gill, their actual TV debut was losing to a team that has no momentum whatsoever. <laughs> ah, 1993 WWE. What a weird old time to be alive it truly was. So that wraps it up here. We have our little uh, preview for next week. We have Tatanka in action, IRS, the return of the Steiners from suspension. I mean, vacation. <laughs> They've had an holiday. Yes, they've they've been uh, um, off relaxing, and we and they pushed the crush Savage Summit very hard with Heenan indicating that it's not going to go well for Savage. Savage says it's going to be okay. He's crushing my boy. We're going to get this straightened out. And uh, yeah, it feels like it's like a contract signing, and as we all know, with contract signings, they never go well. Do you suppose it's going to end violently? I have a hunch. That it might be a bit violent at the end, but we shall find out next week. Uh, John, as our special guest, your thoughts on this episode of Raw? Well, considering it was only a one-hour episode, you know, it's been a while since I've sort of enjoyed a, a good session of Raw because I don't really watch it much these days, to be honest. Um, you know, it was a, a decent enough show. You know, the, the opening match, the Intercontinental title, you know, it was a, a really good opener. Um the other matches, just your basic sort of generic squashes, really. Uh, but, you know, overall, I would say a decent enough watch. I do agree with that for the most part. It was fine, although you could kind of feel the taped show fatigue that was kind of permeating through the arena. Heat machine or no heat machine. Yeah, and, I love Razor Martel. Like, like I said, at the end of the show, when they were saying who was going to be on the show next week, you could tell it was Vince and the others in a studio doing it because the, you could hear the actual quality of the sound changing completely. Yeah, and it is live next week, thank God, because live is better for this format. I mean, I don't mind taped, but sometimes you just notice the deficiencies of what a tape show does, and live is definitely preferable. And we will get to that next week. Um, uh, John, I have to say, it has been... An amazing honour and a privilege to have you on Coltonic Classic Raw Review. Have you had a lovely time? I've had a lovely time. I've come with nothing and I'm going home with nothing. I think it's absolutely fantastic. What <laughs> <laughs> a great day, Jim. What a great day. We're going to go for the star prize. Well done, well done. Uh, here's, here's what you would have won. Uh, that is a strong bullseye <laughs> reference. that may have lost you on Justin Henry. I do apologise, Justin. I figured out the gist of it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, he is at John Eiley on Twitter. As I've said, if there's anything you want John to Photoshop, he has rights to refuse. Don't make him rude or silly. Or, or you can make him silly, just don't make him rude. Uh, John Eiley will get on that like a car bonnet. At JRH Writing on Twitter. Uh, just just tell Justin what you've had for breakfast this week and he'll reply back with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. 
on whether he no, likes. <laughs> he will. He will. He will. He promise he will. Uh, <laughs> Try me. I've been at Tom Campbell. We are at Cultaholic. John, how do we end the show? Love you, bye. Love you, bye. <laughs> That was lovely, gentlemen. That was absolutely 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 gentlemen. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic.